Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. My guest today is Mark Clifton, and we're going to talk about church revitalization, if I can say it, and replanting. Mark, thank you for joining Leadership Lessons. Man, I've been looking forward to this. Thank you for having me. Seriously, it's an honor. It really is. Brother, it's an honor for me. I've uh, I've enjoyed your ministry for a good while, watching from a distance. You and I have not met personally, but I'm grateful to meet you here and look forward to crossing paths in the future. I think we have you coming to Kentucky for something or another. Maybe, are you part of Reach Conference or something? Do you know? No, I think so. Yeah, yeah. we'll look forward I, to that. I, come to Kentucky. I can come to Kentucky a lot for the music is why I come. I, uh, well, you I, come for the, I come for the bluegrass, so I'm there a lot. Let me tell you all about Mark. Uh, Mark Clifton is a pastor, church planter, church revitalizer, mission strategist, coach, and mentor to young leaders. He's planted numerous churches and most recently replanted a dying church in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, he has led in numerous national conferences on church planting and revitalization, consulted and coached leaders, churches, denom denominational entities throughout North America, and has taught in a variety of settings, including colleges and seminaries, Additionally, Mark has served as a national and regional leader for church planting and missions. He currently serves as the Senior Director of Replanting at the North American Mission Board. Mark, I shared with you one of my favorite things about you, and this is a, it's a great opportunity for me and a, a real honor. I think you have helped to, I'm not sure the right language, but validate the ministry to of normative sized churches and the pastors who are pouring their lives into those uh, churches. So I'm grateful to you for, for doing that. It's been a pleasure. Enjoyed doing it. The median Southern Baptist Church is 67 in attendance. That means the uh, half the Southern Baptist churches have less than 67 and half have more than 67. So that's a lot of churches, bro. 25,000 churches. churches have less than, including the one I pastor, by the way. We had 42 there last Sunday morning. So God can do some amazing things in some of those kinds of places. And I just want to, I want to elevate those ministries as much as I can. Well, we're going to talk more about that. So let's jump right into these questions. Let's start with defining and maybe differentiating some terms. Can you give us a definition of uh, church planting, church revitalization, and church planting, or replanting rather, and then maybe tell us how, how they're different? Yeah, well, church planting is, is somewhat obvious. You go to a place that needs a congregation and, and another church sponsors it and another church plants it and you know, a brand new congregation rises up uh, really from, from uh, for hopefully from gathering some folks together to teach them the word, to see them converted, to, to make them disciples. And out of that forms a new church, just like we saw in the New Testament. And for the majority of my ministry, I was involved in church planting and God allowed me to be part of planting a dozen churches in Canada and Georgia and Kansas, Nebraska and Missouri, and really enjoyed doing that. I was in Canada actually planting when uh, God called me back to Kansas City, my home, uh, to become the Associate Director of Missions. And uh, when I left Canada, we had 150 Southern Baptist churches across six time zones. Wow. When I came to Kansas City, we had 172 in two counties. Right. So I had to kind of get my mind around what God's doing. That's when he really led me to replanting. So church planting is relatively obvious. We plant new churches where we need them. But replanting is where you go to a place where churches are dying. And when I went to Kansas City and that association, there were churches dying. Three, four, five a year were closing their doors. And do we just ignore those churches? Do we believe that God is finished with those churches? Uh, no, I don't believe that. I believe he has a plan for every church. Yeah. And so that's when we began to talk about replanting. And replanting is really where a church is at the very end of its, its existence. In other words, 
there's only one or two or maybe three years left before they completely run out of money and run out of resources and are forced to liquidate the assets and close the doors. That's a replant. A revitalization is most churches that are in decline, but they're not going to be closing in four or five years. They have time. They can make some smaller changes, and over a long period of time, those small changes in trajectory can lead to some major changes over a long period of time. So planting is something new. Revitalization is making some some changes and some adjustments where you have time to do it. Replanting is when you're at the end of the runway and you don't have any more time. And so it takes more drastic changes and it takes outside help. The The similarity between planting and replanting is that both of them really require an outside church to come alongside and help do the work. So that that's a key difference between revitalization. That's really helpful. And you've been living in, in all three of those areas. It sounds like most of your, your ministry. You're currently, if I understand right, a couple of years into a, a replant. Is it Linwood, Missouri? Is yeah, it- Linwood, Kansas. Yeah. Okay. I, I wrote a book called Reclaiming Glory. Uh, the new version comes out January 4th. It's an updated version with some videos, the teaching videos and things like that. That was based on replanting the church in Kansas City. When I went there as a director of missions, uh, man, this church had 18 remaining active members in a sanctuary that seated 610. Wow. I was Warnell Road Baptist Church. Stayed there 10 years. God replanted it, and uh, that's really where I learned a lot about replanting dying churches. Been gone from there for a number of years. It's done much better after I left, yeah. which is really right. encouraging. I went back a few weeks ago and didn't recognize anybody. I went in and sat down, and this young man comes over and gives me a bulletin and says, is this your first time here? Oh, wonderful. So was, exactly what you want to happen. Exactly what I want. But so a couple of years ago, during COVID, I got a call from a director, uh, a real estate broker. And she said, hey, there's a church, First Baptist Church in Linwood, Kansas is for sale. The Methodist Church is already closed. There'll be no church in this little town. Less than 400 people in this town, but a school and and a, a bar. <laughs> and, and they need a church. So my wife and I drove out there. It's about 35, 40 miles from where we lived out in, out in west, out west of Kansas City toward Lawrence. Little, little blacktop highway, not on a main highway. No reason to go to Linwood unless you're going to Linwood. But when my wife and I drove around the town, God just called our hearts to that right. place. So I said, well, I told the real estate agent, I said, let's, let's meet with the remaining members. So she called together the three remaining members, wow. only three. Wow. And uh, I said, look, uh, I don't need any salary, but if you'll call me as your pastor, my wife and I are willing to come. And that was in May of 2020, right in the midst of COVID. Uh, Todd, they had to think about it for a while. Oh yeah. <laughs> do we want to die, or do we want this guy to be our pastor? Right. I but they chose. They, they chose me, and uh, <laughs> I went. And uh, I've been there. Jill and I moved out there. Uh, we we built a house out there. We've been living there now for a year. This month, we moved out there a year ago. We had forty. Uh, I think forty-two last Sunday morning. We run between forty and fifty. We baptized twelve. A little church has come back to life. It's the greatest thing in the town is the church. Uh, now it's the only thing really. Well, we did get a Dollar General right before Christmas, so yep. that's pretty cool in a small town. Well, but uh, yeah, we're excited. It's a real model for how dying churches, even in rural communities, can come back. And I love being the pastor of Linwood Baptist Church. So yes. So let's go a little deeper on that. What are some steps or goals or priorities, whatever language you would use? that kind of guide your, your thinking there. And I, I realize it's not formulaic, there's not a recipe, that you're right. walking in step with the Spirit, but just what are some things that since you know you, you saw that you, you got a burden for the town, you got a burden right. for the church, you met with those yep. origin, those remaining three members, take us yep. a little bit from there. What are some next steps? 
it always begins with compassion. The, the story of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite had plenty of doctrine and plenty of knowledge, plenty of wisdom. Wow. They just didn't have any compassion. And so you, you got to have compassion for that town. It wasn't just a matter of saying, hey, well, this church needs to come back. The Baptists can't lose another church. Right. That's not the point. The point was there's a town here without a gospel presentation. Now, I know there was a church nine miles away that was really large and doing well. But if you're a child in that town, your, your parents aren't going to drive you nine miles to that church. Yep. If And I could, we had a man last Sunday who showed up. He lives just a few blocks in the church. We've been there now since May of 2020, but he finally came. You know, he just walked to church, right? Came to Sunday school and church. Uh, I could tell you many stories like that. So we, we, we began with compassion for the town that God gave my wife and myself. Followed that we decided the first thing we would do is just begin to pray and seek God's face and realize Jesus has a plan for this church. So we began with experiencing God. We began meeting not on Sundays because they're just, there's just three members. And actually when they voted me in, one of the ladies left. So, Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, you can't win them all, Todd. So, <laughs> so uh, rule number one, church replanting can be very humbling work. That's right. I lost a third of my congregation. <laughs> so anyway, um, so there wasn't any reason to meet on Sunday mornings right away. We were in the midst of COVID anyway. So we began to meet on Wednesday nights. And I began to just kind of visit in the community, visit around the county, tell people, hey, we're going to do a study called Experiencing God. And people began to come, wow. and we began to do experiencing God, and that formed the DNA of our church, which is this. This is so important, Todd. Even in Linwood, a little town that people drive by at 60 miles an hour, you don't even have to slow down on the blacktop, right? No stoplight in Linwood, no reason to stop there. About 400 residents who live there. God is at work in every one of those homes. Well, God's at work in every little hamlet, every little village, every urban neighborhood in our city, every apartment block in our city. God is at work in those places. So our desire as we came together on those Wednesday nights was for us to become in such a close and intimate relationship with Jesus mm. that we were able to realize and see where God was at work in Linwood and join him in that work. Yeah. It is no more complicated than that. Now, that means major adjustments in our life. It means being willing to get involved in people's lives. It means willing to take risk and try things that may not work. It means willing to do things you've never done before in that church. It means all of those things and more. It means trying to find the resources to do that work. I mean, we didn't have any money and there was a lot of things we needed to do. Um, and so we had to develop partnerships with other churches. One of the first things I did is I called five or six pastors in the county and I said, look, will you meet me at this church building for lunch? I'll, I'll buy your lunch, and will you meet me here? And so I drove through Wendy's and got five or six salads, and we met at the church. And these five pastors sat around this table with me, and I said, let's just pray, because I know God wants to reach Linwood, and he wants to use this old church building. And so these five pastors from the county just began to pray together, and then we walked through the church building and looked at it, and I asked them to dream with me, and, and God opened up their hearts. And a couple of them said, you know, our, our church is willing to— to invest in some resourcing here. And that began the process where we began to find some resources. But if you're gonna revitalize or replant a church, it's really incumbent upon you as a leader to go out and develop those partnerships. Yeah. And, and Todd, that's the most wonderful thing about being in a state convention and being in an association. Mm -hmm. yeah. I had been in meetings with those pastors. We were already in fellowship together. It wasn't like I was calling guys I'd never met. Yeah. And so that's why it's important for pastors to always go to every associational meeting that you have. Go to every volunteer for every associational committee. Go to every state convention meeting because we desperately need each other. 
We do, and every pastor's busy. Mark, I pastored 20 years before I got involved in State Convention work. Every pastor's busy. You have plenty of your own things going on, and it just seems like one more thing to do. But but ultimately, it's going to serve. It's going to serve you personally. It's going to advance the kingdom if you'll take the time to build those relationships and get to know get to know others. So I think I remember hearing you say this that the Southern Baptist Convention is a large denomination of small churches. Is that a quote oh, to you or does oh, someone else it, say that? It, it really is. Do you know, if you took every Southern Baptist who preached to more than 1,700 last weekend, you could put them all on one Air France jumbo jet. I want you, I want you to picture an Air France Airbus jumbo jet on a runway, and you take every single senior pastor of every Southern Baptist church who preached to more than 1,700 last weekend and filled out an ACP, by the way, because yeah. that's the only way we know it. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, you put them all on one Air France jumbo jet. If you took the rest of us, we would fill every seat in Royal Stadium, Kansas City Royal Stadium, and standing room only. Look, the adversary knows, as wonderful as megachurches are, and as incredibly impactful as their ministry is, there aren't enough megachurches to reach this nation. But with 40-plus thousand normative-sized Southern Baptist yeah. churches in every community, in every county, many of them, multiples of them in every city, if those churches became disciple-making, evangelistic, soul-winning places, it would be a game-changer in North America. The real power of Southern Baptist is the number of congregations we have all across this continent. But the adversary gets us to look at ourselves and say, like, Sunday morning, well, we're only 42 people. We don't have a youth program. We don't have a very good music program. Yeah. We don't have much of a children's program. What in the world could we do? We're one of 40,000 churches. Right. That's a huge, huge resource for the kingdom. And so, you know, a lot of times when I used to work for the Kansas-Nebraska Convention, I was a state missions leader for a while, and we'd say, we're going to have a, a small church conference. And I'd always push back on the Sunday school guy, and I'd say, you're not having a small church conference. You're having a 93% of all Kansas-Nebraska wow, church so conferences yeah, because you. they're all small, if that sense. By the way, we didn't used to call them small. Um, you go back and you read literature from the late 1800s, early 1900s. They're not talking about small and large churches. Mm. Most churches were just 100 people or less. They're churches, yep. But the church growth movement in the 60s and 70s really began to define small and large and that's when we begin to talk about the small church, the small church, the small. It's always been the small church. Yeah. Since since day one, it's always been the small church. God chooses to do some of the most amazing work among such small places. And so Mark, I just think we have to elevate that even more than we do. Well, thank you for, for doing it. And I think you've helped all of us to move in that direction. And you're certainly helping to validate that guy that just feels led to go somewhere, 65, 70 members, plant his yeah. life there and serve those people. Uh, as long as as long as the Lord wants him there, so thank you for your faithfulness in that area. Uh, so talk to that church, maybe the pastor, maybe the members, just for a moment, who you've defined revitalization and replanting. I think really helpful. So talk to that church that really needs to revitalize. They're meeting every Sunday. They have most of their right. their roles covered, but they've been stagnant for a long time. That's most churches, probably in the Southern Baptist right. Convention. What 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 could you say to that the pastor and then maybe to some of the members? First, you have to take an honest evaluation of really what's happening. I want you to ask yourself, how many unchurched people are, are we impacting every week? Mm -hmm. People who don't know Christ, people who don't even maybe don't even like the church, even maybe have a worldview that's opposed to us, a political view that's opposed to us. How many of those people are we encountering each week? And if you say none, that's a problem, yeah. all right? That's a huge problem. How many, how many people have we led to Christ this year? 
I mean, seriously. And if you say, well, none or two or three, that's a problem. And immediately people say, well, you don't understand, Mark. People are resistant to the gospel here. Well, they're pretty resistant to the gospel in China. Yeah. They're pretty resistant to the gospel in, in primar primarily Muslim countries. But the people are becoming Christian in those environments at incredible numbers. God can, he can do amazing things in the most difficult places. So the first thing is take honest evaluation, not how many are coming, because that number can, can fool you a little bit. In fact, you could even be declining in attendance, but if you're reaching unchurched people and seeing people become baptized and made disciples, that's a positive. Mm -hmm. Church attendance goes up and down, depending on uh, housing issues in your community, uh, job changes, the ages of your membership. So I would say I try to stay away from numbers as the primary metric and look at how many lives each, what is our ministry footprint? Mm -hmm. That's how I would put it. Each week, what's our ministry footprint? And if this church were to go away and not be here tomorrow, would anybody other than the members notice? And if nobody in the community would say, there's a problem here because that church made a difference in our community, then that's an issue. So you have to honestly evaluate. You may have Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You may have all kinds of committee meetings. You may have all kinds. But if all of that is doing is just connecting to the same handful of folks and you're not impacting the lostness in your community, that's when you need to take a back and say, we've got to, we've got to reevaluate what we're doing and why we're doing it. All right, so let's talk about that replant setting. So this church maybe it's down to eight or 10 people. Uh, and of those eight or 10, two or three of them are considering to stop going and go, go to church somewhere else. So what do you say to them, first off, and then what do you say to a pastor who's also watching that that church and that building that would love to step in and do something, but maybe doesn't know how without offending them or making things worse. So speak to both of those. That's a really groups. good question. First of all, if you're the pastor of a declining church that's at the point of closure, I know from a fact, many of you feel very shameful about that. You, you don't want to be the guy that closes the church. You just don't want to do that. I want to tell you, you're not the guy that closes the church. You may be the most important pastor in the history of that church hmm. because you may be the one that opens the door to the greatest life that church has ever known. Yeah. When I went to Warnell Road in Kansas City, there were 18 there the first Sunday. Those 18 had to make a decision, and they made the very difficult decision to be replanted. That means they really gave up day-to-day -day control to some outside entities. They released control of their church to others. They, they, they didn't know what the future would contain. Fast forward 12 or 13 years, there were 300 there worshiping the last time I was there. Yeah. All people from the neighborhood, baptizing people, making disciples, sending out pastors. Most of those 18 have passed away, mm -hmm. but their heritage has never been stronger. So as a remaining pastor in a church that's about to die, God may use you in the most great greatest ministry you've ever imagined by helping you be the one that turns that over to another entity. And here's what we say at the closure of a church. You have several options. Number one, you can reach out and, and find a, a new church plant that needs a building, and you let that church plant adopt you. You don't necessarily merge with them. You can't Velcro two churches together very well. And, and an older church that's about to die and a new church is just growing, that's not much of a merger. The new church adopts the older church into their, into their body. And so you become adopted into that new family. A second thing is perhaps there's a church, a larger church that wants to help start a church or put a campus there, and you, you let them do that in your facility. Mm -hmm. Third thing is you go to your state or your association and you say, look, this, this facility, this resource, this belongs to the kingdom. This isn't ours. 
we're not going to sell it and figure out what to do with the money. We want to we want to invest it into the association, the state convention. We're going to trust you to know how to use this best to further the kingdom. Plant a new church in it. Find an ethnic church that can use it. But we want to give this resource. Often what happens, Todd, is dying churches make poor decisions at the end. Mm-hmm. They may sell that building to a group that can't afford it, and then the bank takes it over, and then the bank turns it into a parking lot or we lose it. So give it to a trusted SBC partner. So when you get to the end of your your church and it's just not going to – can't continue, be adopted by another church. Be campused by another church. Talk to your state or your association. Provide that facility to them so they can reuse it for another church so that – a church can continue in that place. If you're a large church and you want to, or a healthier church and you want to begin these relationships, there's three things you can do. First, pray for those churches in your community that need help. Mm -hmm. Just go visit them. Take those pastors to lunch. Don't have any agenda other than we just want to pray for you. By the way, I think it's important that we pray for other churches on Sunday morning in our worship service uh, by name. I think that's important. And just let that pastor know, look, our church, yeah, maybe we have five, six hundred and you have 15, but we're going to pray for you by name Sunday morning and for your church, and we're going to love you and care for you. Maybe even serve the minute if that's an older pastor and his wife, send them something on their anniversary. Just love them and care for them. Mm-hmm. Secondly, see if there's a way, if they need some leadership, if they need someone to fill the pulpit, they don't have a pastor, be willing to send one of your staff members to go preach there without any strings attached. You're not trying to take them over. You're just wanting to love on them. But the third thing is, as the pastor of that larger church, go talk to your associational missionary and your state convention. I know I sound like a broken record, but yeah. I'm serious about well, this. Well, that's who we are, Mark. We, I mean, because, we, cooperation is, is, is yeah. a part of who we are. Because, listen to me, Pastor, you need that third party at the table. If you just approach that church one-on-one, and you're the one that makes the initial contact, they're going to be somewhat threatened by you, and they're going to feel like you're trying to take them over. But if you can lean into your state or your association, and they make that contact, they come to the table and bring that older church with them to the table. I've seen God use that in a wonderful way. Uh, that that develops a trust relationship between the three of those entities, and oftentimes that third entity is critically important in bringing these two together. I hope that's helpful. Uh, super but, helpful. Yeah. So you've you hit a real pitfall on the replanting part because. You know, oftentimes pastors, many pastors are kind of go-getters, and they see that need yep. out there. They want to lean into it, but you're protecting. So uh, talk about a couple of pitfalls maybe or mistakes that pastors make when it comes to re- church revitalization, that we're trying to help a church. We see where it's headed. We can play the movie forward. Uh, where do we mess up in trying to help a church turn around? I think, I think the pastor who's been there through the 20 years of decline has to do some serious soul searching to see, am I the one that has the gift set that God desires to use to give this church a new direction? Look, God has used you in a variety of ways in that place. I went to it. I've done this many times, but one time in particular, I went to a church and I was leading a. They've been declining for a decade and more, and the pastor had been there for a long time. He was there during the good years, but he was certainly there during all the decline. And one of the deacons said, well, I got a question for you. He said, can the same man that led the decline uh, bring the church back? Yeah. And, of course, the pastor's sitting right there. Yeah. And I yeah. said, no, the same man can't. But the same pastor 
I said, no, the same man can't, but a changed man can. Yeah, there you go. So if, if he becomes changed, if, then God can. But at what? But is he the one that wants to go through that change? Is he the best change agent? Yeah. And you have to seriously search yourself. And I remember that pastor came up to me later, and and he said, "Man, you don't understand. This is my livelihood." And yeah. I said, "I understand. This is your salary." But it's Jesus Church, right? You can't see this church as your livelihood. Yeah. That's that's a problem. Jesus will provide something for you. This is His church. So I think as the pastor, if you've been part of that decline, I'm not suggesting you failed. I'm not suggesting you. I'm just suggesting you may not be the change agent. If you are the change agent, then you've got to be willing to get involved and ask again your state convention, others for some leadership training, some equipping, some mentoring, get in some cohorts. I tell pastors of declining churches all the time, check with your state convention, find out where the church planting networks are and go hang out with church planters. Get infected by church planters Mm -hmm. and how they view the community and how they reach the community. Begin to think differently than you've been thinking. So that's that's the first thing is the pastor has to generally look at himself and say, am I the one to, re- to, to revitalize? If I am, what changes do I have to make and who can I reach out to to help me make those changes? Secondly, as I said earlier, look at the metrics of, of evangelism and discipleship and is the community knows to be better because our church is here. If those things aren't there, say, what are we going to do? It's one thing to say we want to have 10, evangel- 10 baptisms next year. Okay, fine. How do you do that? Right. What's your plan for that? How are you going to get there? Are you going to fill the baptistry up and just leave it fill and just, you know, I've had guys that have said, we haven't had a baptism here in, in a year. So he fills the baptistry up and he steps in it and he says, I want you to pray with me that before the end of the year, somebody will be, I mean, That's those awesome. kinds of things are really yeah. important. Absolutely. So you, you've got to make some, some, you've got to, if you keep doing the things you're doing, you're going to get the results you're getting. Yeah. And I just want pastors to know that Jesus has a plan for every church, and he'll spare nothing. Henry Blackaby has said he'll spare nothing from heaven to resource his plan for his church, but he'll likely not resource your plans for his church. So, so Mark, your plan, go ahead. I, no, I, I believe you, and 100%, I'm with you. I have the exact same mindset about churches. Every church can live. I just I just believe it. But but uh, you're also kind of like the, like the kid throwing the starfish out in the ocean. You know, you think you're making any difference. There's so many. What? How do you keep from getting discouraged when you see so much need when it comes to church revitalization and replanting? To be totally transparent with you, Todd, I don't keep from getting discouraged. I do get discouraged. Yeah. It's, the, it's the biggest battle I face in this ministry. Yeah. Every day I hear from pastors, heard from two today, right? They're ready to quit. They're ready to walk away. There's conflict in their church. Churches, uh, you know, they, they can't make any changes. All, you know, I hear, or there's been a moral failure with their pastor yep. and the people, or I've had one recently where the pastor deconstructed his faith publicly. I don't believe this anymore. I mean, I've had that happen. And then you see communities around you that are just becoming more and more ungodly and more and more lost and more and more painful and more and more violent. And we are closing churches in the middle of that community. Right. Churches wrong, who wrong say direction. they believe churches who say they believe the Bible, yeah. right? Churches who believe it. And so I will tell you, there are times in my life when I have to really battle discouragement and depression over that. Yeah. If you spend enough time with dying and declining churches, it's a rough road. I used to spend all my time with church plants, and they were all about the future and looking toward the future. And yeah. you spend all your time with. So, with that said, it's incredibly important to realize this: we will never know the 
full result of our labor until eternity. Mm -hmm. And so we we just trust the Lord that we do not grow weary in well-doing. And when I go to those seasons that I become discouraged over it, I just realize God's doing things behind the scenes that I do not see and I cannot see. And that one day I'm going to be blown away by how much was going on that I didn't even see. So and that's where I just have to hang on to that. Keep preaching the gospel to yourself. Preach, keep preaching. First Corinthians right. fifteen fifty eight that God's doing something. So, Mark, this podcast is called Leadership Lessons. Do you have a story or something from your own past that impacted the way you view leadership, or that has kind of set your direction as a as a leader? Yeah, Richard, I get the chance to hang out with travel with Richard Blackaby quite a bit. I really have enjoyed getting to know him, and he's had a huge influence on my life. And Richard has, has said that if you have a church, and I say Richard has said it, so you can you can email him if you don't like this. Right. Richard said, if you have a church where there are no leaders, you can't you don't have any leaders, there's no one to do anything, no one to volunteer, you can't get anybody to work with children, you can't get he said ultimately that's the problem of the pastor because it's the pastor's job to develop leaders. Yeah. It's a leadership lacking. And that just hit me between the eyes. It's like I'd always just blame the people. Right. And I realized ultimately, if we don't have volunteers, that's on me for not understanding how to be a leader and develop volunteers and engage volunteers. So here's the good news. You can learn leadership skills. Yeah. You really can. You yeah. can't learn character. You can't learn commitment. You can't learn calling. But you can learn leadership skills. So from that point on, I have really made it a pattern in my life to try to learn, even though I'm an old man now, like I'm, you know, I'm way up there. I want to learn every day to be a better leader. And that has really impacted my life. In fact, I would say to you that from 50, age 55 on have been the most productive years of my life. Actually, from eight, I'm 63. The last three years have been the most productive years of my life. And I say that's directly because I made an intentional effort to grow as a leader. And so I I really think that's what has has really influenced me. I know I need to grow as a leader. And if the church doesn't have volunteers, it doesn't have leadership, I have to look at myself in the mirror and say, why am I not developing leaders? Mark, that's a good word to end on. We probably only covered half the questions that we thought about. I, I need to have you back. Thank you so much for your ministry. Thank you for your work with churches. And man, just thank you for loving and encouraging those pastors that are serving in out-of-the-way places. Nobody's inviting them to conferences, but you you elevate their work, and God's used you to do that. So, brother, hang in there and keep uh, keep keep cheering keep cheering on church replanting and revitalization. Thank you also for joining Leadership Lessons. You bet. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the cooperative program. For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.